There is absolutely no one like him. Ah, some of my favorite lyrics in all the hymns and all the songs. I will build my life upon the foundation of your love. Ah, that's the way it works. Our experiencing Jesus' love is the key to everything else. So my favorite time of the week is to be with you all when we celebrate his, uh, his love together. Hey, uh, speaking uh, on behalf of, uh, of all the elders and the staff, but thank you, those of you who have made yourself available for some dinners. We, we have had a great time with you all. And uh, we had two objectives. One was just to, to get you all, get to know you all a little better and uh, build some relationships. So that has been a ton of, of fun for, for everybody. And then just share our passion and our vision, really. It's rooted in our experience as, as elders, what we're enjoying around here. We enjoy the community uh, through whom we get connected to Jesus and the joy that's in him. And so our passion has been to try and figure out how do we make this Jesus through RCC even more accessible to those out there that we know in our neighborhood and our communities that don't quite yet uh, haven't met Jesus. How can we corporately be uh, more focused on helping those folks, help them experience a little bit of what we experience here? And we're going to the Christmas holidays. Again, from where we sit, a great time. We're going to start a Christmas series on that first Sunday in December on the mystery of Christmas. It'd be a great place to bring folks. We're going to have a Christmas Eve service that'll be fun at 5.30 on Christmas Eve, a, a family gathering again. And then we got a Christmas concert on December 11th. Now, if you were here last year, you have a sense of what to expect. I think it's a fabulous place to invite folks that might be not that thrilled to hear me preach. You know, Sharia knows a lot of folks out in the music industry, and she's got connections with several that love Christ and bring Christ to that world. And so we got a few of them that will join us on December 11th, and I think a great place to bring folks and, uh, and get them introduced to Jesus in a, a really uh, non-threatening non way. Hey, hello to everybody online, and particularly uh, Jim and Elaine Holiday. Uh, uh, family, part of our church family. Uh, they are celebrating their 73rd wedding anniversary. Coming up here. Now that I think about it, it might not be this week, it might be next week. But Jim and Elaine, count this as the happy anniversary. Hey, let me be the first to you to, to offer you a, a happy, happy anniversary. And uh, that's coming up. So we love you and uh, in, enjoy, uh, enjoy that day. Carl James, one of our longtime family members, heard this week from Jesus, and I think he saw him face to face, and he said, hey, welcome home. Well done, my good and faithful servant. So when we got more information about celebrating that, we'll, we'll, pass, that, uh, we'll pass that on to you guys. Now, we're going on in the text. Keith, last week started in chapter 13. We got chapters 13 through 17. It's the Last Supper. Jesus is sitting with these guys. So we went through 12 chapters, all of Jesus' public ministry in 12 chapters. Now we're going to spend five chapters with Jesus laying out the truth of who he is for the disciples. He's trying to prepare them for what they're supposed to take. Guys, 
We're going to get some big ideas of what Christianity is. And I'm just going to tell you, I look at evangelicals and what's going on even in America. I'm not sure we're always focused on what Jesus considers the big ideas of what Christianity is. Feels like to me we get off on some tangents and then like to attach the name of Jesus to it. We're going to spend these chapters where Jesus is unloading. Now, as John writes this book, it's particularly for those who haven't yet believed. He's unpacking this in the context of Jesus preparing the disciples. But this is so that those who don't love Christ might believe. We're going to deal with the big ideas of the gospel. What's important to Jesus as we work through this? Now, we're going to take a break and... And, and, and go through uh, uh, Christmas and, 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 and a couple of breaks. Yeah, anyway, I won't go. We'll tell. It's later. But you're following me so far, right? Now, when I was a kid, I had two little brothers and a younger sister. And I look back, and I'm not sure that technically and legally that we were old enough for my folks to leave us alone. But they did. And they trusted us, and we weren't supposed to play. Now, we had a huge concrete room in our house. It was huge. We played floor hockey. We could play catch in there in, in the house I grew up in. Again, I just thought everybody had this in their house. I realized once I started buying homes, not everybody has that. But it was cool. My folks, I remember them sending us to bed one night. You're supposed to go to bed, and then they went out. No TV, nothing. Well, I thought the garage door, you can always hear when it goes up. Maybe we could go have some fun. So my brothers and I, we got up and had some fun. We were watching TV. We were playing. I don't know what time my folks came home, but I remember we all heard the garage door, and we bolted to get upstairs. My sister narked on us. She told on us. She betrayed us. <laughs> now, what struck me years later, I'm 64, I can still remember it. Most parents teach their kids not to tattletale. Because we see betrayal as a lack of character. There's a reason that the name Benedict Arnold is still recognized. My guess is nowadays most folks don't even know exactly what he did, but they know he betrayed somebody. We're going to look at the text today. We're in the Last Supper. Jesus has already washed their feet. We're talking about that. And now he's going to give the prediction about his betrayal. We're at the Last Supper. We're hours away from this actually happening. And what John wants us to see and Jesus wants us to see is the reason this is recorded is that we would trust Christ. If you're here today or watching online and you don't yet love Christ, we're thrilled you're connected this text, all of John, is to help you trust Christ. If you're here today and you already trust Christ, this is intended to help us trust him even more. So here's the text, picking up where Keith left off last week. 
And he dealt with a few of these verses, but the themes cross over. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke, and one of the disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at table at Jesus' side, and so Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And so when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, What are you going to do? Do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. And some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So, after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. God is glorified in him. God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Now you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. Oh, Heavenly Father. Ah. We're looking at this most critical event in human history, the crucifixion of your son. As we look at these details that are leading up to it, what Jesus says that John, inspired by you, records, I pray that the intent you have for these words would in fact be fulfilled, that we would trust you more. So keep me true to what you intend by these words. But I pray your spirit again would do that work no matter where we are right now spiritually in our lives. No matter what's going on in all of our lives, the circumstances, the good, the bad, all of that. I pray, Father, that you would allow us to see Jesus. To see him as he is. And I pray that our hearts, our minds would be filled with hope and encouragement. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's walk quickly through the facts of, Je of, of Jesus being betrayed by Judas. Now, when you think of the Last Supper, this is the picture that I think most of us get in our minds. And Leonardo was, da Vinci is a genius. He is a fabulous artist. Now, he's not too good at recreating, I think. Pretty much he took from his time period what Jesus would look like if he had that dinner. If you look at the back windows, you know it's light. It's like it's daytime. It's actually nighttime. If you look at the people, they look pretty much like they're Europeans rather than Jews. 
The clothes they're wearing look pretty much like what was going on in their day, not in Jesus' day. You look at the tablecloth and the ornamentation of food. Oh, this is a fancy meal. They were sitting at play with, with clay and pottery, and they didn't have all this. They got fish on the table. It's the Passover meal. They weren't eating fish. It looks like a palace. They're in the upper room. It's simple. Now, they used to eat in that day and age when we were sitting up, but when they had a, a, a meal like this, they would often recline. So likely they're all gathered around a table. Most of them are sitting on their left arm and, and, and eating with their, their right hand. Most of them are right-handed. And likely John is actually laying, as you look at the text, right on Jesus' chest here. He's right there. They're sitting there next to each other. And in America, some of this makes us a little uncomfortable, but anyway... Here's, so Jesus and disciples are eating the Passover meal. Jesus tells the disciples one of them is a, a betrayer. Peter gets John to ask who it is. Jesus tells John, the one to whom he gives the morsel of bread. Jesus gives it to Judas. Now, only John knows who the betrayer is. Now, when I read stuff, when we read stuff, these guys are giving us a story. It's like a novel. A true novel, but they're trying to put us in the circumstances. I read this stuff. I get all kinds of questions. One of them is, Jesus tells John, why doesn't John tell the rest of the guys, and why don't they try and stop him? And John knows who it is, and he stays silent. Now, I don't know why, but these are the things I'm sitting there, would I have stayed silent? I think if he had just told me who's going to betray him, I'd like to think I would have stopped him. If there's not much risk for me, I mean, there's 11 of us, one of him and Jesus, that makes 12, we could stop the guy. But anyway, this is a, a free little off-ramp that has nothing to do with the sermon, other than encouraging you when you read the story, read the story. I think particularly with scripture, we just skim through this stuff so fast. Read the story and try and get a picture of what's going on. Jesus tells Judas to do what he had planned to do. And Judas goes. Now, the crucifixion has formally been initiated. He leaves. And the rest of chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16, and 17 are to the other 11 disciples. Judas is not there. This thing has begun. Now, I think I see five ideas in the text that I'd like to talk through that I think John is trying to help us see as he recounts this. First one is Jesus' betrayal was not easy for him. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified. Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now, we're less than 24 hours from the crucifixion, so don't eliminate that from being troubled. But in this context, what John wants us to see is the primary thing troubling him right here is his being betrayed by a friend. He's just washed Judas' feet. They're now sitting at a table. Part of what I like about eating with folks is there's an element of intimacy when you share a meal. 
and he's going to be betrayed. He knows it. And here's, this is a lot of years of conversations with folks and my anecdotal assessment. I think we tend to de-emotionalize God and we tend to de-emotionalize Jesus. And Jesus' emotions, well, they're attributed to his humanity. God is emotional. Now, here's one key difference between God's emotions and ours. He is never driven by his emotions to make an unreasonable decision. That's a huge difference. The part of our being created in the image of God is that we have emotions. God has emotions. Part of the nature of Jesus is his is, is divinity and his humidity. <laughs> humidity. His humanity. I'm so excited the Vikings are on and I got a DVR, so don't anybody tell me what the score is today. Because unlike many teams, they have only one loss and they're looking at the Super Bowl. This is a you don't care about any of this, do you? None of you care about this. There we go. Those of us that care about what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, his humidity. The humanity and the divinity in, in one nature. Jesus is emotional. And, and, and as John tells the story, I started with a story of mine. I didn't hold a big grudge against my sister, but it wasn't until years later that I realized that I was still seeing her a little bit through that lens. And most of us know what it's like to be betrayed. I would guess all of us at some point. Some of us didn't even know when we were kids that we were actually being betrayed by our parents when they didn't love us as God intended parents to love us. We didn't figure it out till we were adults. They didn't actually love us in the way they should have loved us. Some of us have raised kids, poured into their hearts. And, you know, they're not that interested in loving us at work. Somebody takes credit for our work. Rather than giving the credit to us, they take it on themselves. Some of us have been married, stood with our spouse, and we both committed till death us do part. Betrayal is hard. Betrayal. He's looking at the cross, but he's looking at this guy who was with him when he did these miracles. And he's about to be betrayed by him. It's breaking his heart. Now, Jesus' plan was accomplished through Judas and Satan. Judas and Satan... Don't miss us, are working against Jesus. Back to the beginning of 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he, he loved them to the end. Now I'm just going to tell you, I love that sentence. He loved them to the very end. He never, ever stopped loving them. And during the supper... When the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Satan is already having an influence in here. I'm just going to talk a little theology here. I think sometimes we can see ourselves as empty glasses and Satan's either in us or he's not in us. 
we're not an empty glass. The core of who we are is spiritual. And the Satan is spiritual. How many people in the world do you think I think Satan influences? Take a guess. A hundred percent. This is the way the world works. Now the question is how much influence does he have over, Satan, over, over Judas? But this isn't in opposition to Judas' will, right? This is part of the battle that we all fight. So that the disciple leaning back against Jesus said to him, the Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, is he who, to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it? So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Now, he's already been influenced by him. What John's just trying to convey is the commentator here. Now he's actually got Judas going to do what he wants him to accomplish. So how many of us are fighting with Satan? Theoretically, this is just a quick sidebar. Sometimes I don't feel like we think we realize we're wrestling with him. One of the best books on this is Screw Tape Letters by a guy named C.S. Lewis. What C.S. Lewis argues is some of us just don't think we're actually wrestling with him. We just put him out of our minds. So this is a sidebar, no extra charge for that. But you got Satan and Judas working to destroy Jesus. That's their end. Here's the big idea that John wants us to see here and all through the gospel, though, is that Jesus is accomplishing his divine plan through the evil, detestable actions of Judas and Satan. Jesus is getting exactly what he wants done. John has tried to make this clear. Back in chapter 6, John, a gospel writer, writing roughly 40 years after all this, said, Jesus answered them, did I not choose you all the 12? And yet one of you is a devil. I've been asked several times over my life, and I wrestled with it when I was real young, did Jesus make a mistake in choosing Judas as one of his disciples? The answer to that question is... No. Now, we're going to look at some verses where, again, this is trying to get people to believe. Nothing happened in here by accident. And yet one of you is a devil, and he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Back to the beginning of chapter 13. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, same sentence, Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands. How many? How many? I'm going to talk about it in a few seconds here. If we could just believe that today. We as evangelicals would be a, do a better job of representing Jesus is my conviction. All things. Right after he says Judas is going to do this, what does John want to make sure we understand? There ain't anything happening that's outside of Jesus' control. Nothing. Because he is God and the Father has given to him control of everything. Including what Judas and Satan are doing. And that he had come from God. And was going back to God. He is 
God. And Keith did a great job pulling this text apart last week. Because what does he do right after he makes this statement about Judas betraying? And he is God. What did Jesus do? You don't have to pay attention. What did Jesus do right after that? Wash the disciples' feet. We go from his washing Judas' feet to this. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, in this sense, chosen to be good disciples. But that the scripture would be fulfilled. Psalm 41. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Judas is doing exactly what was predicted he was going to do hundreds of years before. That you might believe that I am he, that there's nothing going on here that's accidental. So that disciple leaning back against Jesus said to him, Lord, who is And Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas. Judas and Satan are working against Jesus. Jesus accomplishes his divine plan through the evil, detestable actions of, Jude, of Judas and Satan. So I'll give us confidence in what happened back then. It's how life works. I see God having Satan on a chain. He's like a rabid dog that's trying to destroy, but he's on a leash and God has his leash. And he's not allowing Satan to do anything that isn't part of his, if you were here a few weeks ago, big lens sovereign plan. Nothing. Not when Judas was crucified. Not today. Did you guys hear there was an election this last week? Now some of you may guess I have strong political views. Do I share them much here? You ever ask why? I got something way more important to talk about. And as we go through 13 to 17, we're not going to see politics mentioned. Several initiatives that break my heart that we voted in here in California and other states breaks my heart. Elected officials, it didn't go. Now, I'm not giving you, am I giving you any specifics today? Why? I got something more important to talk about. And we're going to be salt and light. My hope is you vote it. My hope is we participate. My hope is we may, if God moves us, run for office. We want to be salt and light. But when I get like 20 minutes on a Sunday morning to talk, I got one thing that's just way more important. But yes, I'm disappointed. I was hoping for many different results. But here's my conclusion. What God wanted to happen was done exactly as he wanted to have it happen. Now, what does he want for tomorrow? I'll tell you on Tuesday. What does he want for Tuesday? 
I'll tell you on Wednesday. But he's working. Even when people betray us. Even when people hurt us. Even when they have no desire to promote God's glory. None. He's working. So are we salt and light in this world? Yes. But we trust him and respond in his love. Oh, there's that last point that I just got done talking about that I should have put up there. You want me to talk any more about it or you got it? You got it? He's still doing that. It's who our God is. He works for the good of those who love him. Do I love all the choices that God makes? Dan, do I love them all? I do not. In the political realm, in my personal life, I don't love them all. But I trust he's working in ways that are not always obvious to me. What he's hoping we do, what I do, is respond in trust. So, Jesus' glory shines brightest in this deep ugliness. It's a theme he's been putting there. You look at the glory of God, again, I just think sometimes we're, maybe it's just me, you guys probably don't, but his beauty is manifest in limitless ways. The, the beauty and the specificity of this flower, the bee, we could talk about an atom, we could talk about the human body, you know, protons, neutrons, electrons, DNA. If I could have given you a picture that made you went, whoo, that looks cool, I'd have given you that picture of an atom, but I couldn't find one because we can't see them. But they're there. There's a beauty and a glory that we can't even see. This is where if there's ever been a time in the history of the world where people ought to be awed by God, I'm just going to tell you it's now. And there are some scientists who are trying to promote God's glory. My sense is most of them are not. They don't even know what they're doing. They're telling us about God's glory. This is unbelievable. But we got limitless pictures of how he displays his creative power his beauty, oh, just endless. Now, this is called the, the Eagle Nebula. This is a picture from 1995, the Hubble Telescope. We got that new web one now that has far more pictures. But that's a picture of, uh, uh, of, of, of gases and dust working together to form a star. This is 7,000 light years. How far is a light year? just short of 8 trillion miles. Somebody asked me once, how long is a light year? A year? Again, it's how far light travels in a year. <laughs> it's a year. How long is a light year? It's, you guys are following me, right? But, but, but this is 7,000 7, light years from us. Now we've got stuff that sees so... I mean, you talk about God's glory. I'm going to show you a picture. We've got limitless pictures of God's glory. And for those of you online, I'm going to sit down for just a second. Because I'm going to show you a picture of what I believe is the pinnacle and the height of his glory. So I think I'm already not supposed to be standing down here, but sometimes I lose myself. 
You guys ready for the picture of the height of God's glory? The most spectacular picture of God's glory there is. Represents God's glory at its absolute height. You ready? I love Christmas. Because Christmas is celebrating the entrance of that Jesus into the world so that he could do this. John, as he's writing this gospel, has already been trying to make this clear. And as he records this gospel, of course, in terms of the chronology of what's happening, it hadn't even happened yet. You probably noticed it in the text. But here's John quoting Jesus. Now, when he had gone out, who's gone out? Judas. Jesus said, now. Now, has he been displaying his glory before this? The answer to that is yes. All the miracles, but not nearly to the degree he's about to. Now that Judas left, this thing has started. Now is the Son of Man glorified. He's already been displaying his glory. And God, the Father, is glorified in him can't separate these two. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and the Father and glorify him, Jesus, at once. I love Christmas. Because we're celebrating Jesus coming into the world so that he can go and do this. That's actually the meaning of Christmas. I'm going to be with some grandkids on Christmas. Are there going to be gifts and Santa Claus? Oh, you betcha. But here's the meaning of Christmas. How many times do you see Jesus use the word glory here as he references his crucifixion? How many times do you see it? If you're having trouble... It's the word in the blue. In two sentences, five times. What's the holiday during the year that I think we ought to see his glory most fully? Good Friday. Do we see it on Christmas? Absolutely. Do we see it on Easter? Absolutely. 
but where Jesus went to the cross to do, take away our stuff, our sin, to remove our guilt. And Jesus did what absolutely no one else could do. Let's jump to 33. Following that text, little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Where is he headed? He's going to the cross. And next week we'll deal with Peter who offers to die for him and then denies him. I love that Peter. <laughs> Candid, impetuous, pretty much he says it before he completely processes what he thinks. I don't know if you know anybody like that. I've been accused of being that. I'm going to go do what nobody else can do. This is the absolute uniqueness of Christianity. We have a God who ultimately we don't serve. He serves us. In less than, fewer than 24 hours, he's going to be hanging on the cross with our sins attached to him. God, the Father, pouring out his wrath on his son. But Jesus told us all that was to happen so that we might believe. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I've chosen, the disciples, the eleven, the good ones. But that the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place. That when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. That's why we know this story. Does it give us some history about Jesus? Yes. Does it give us some history about Judas? Yes. Was that the primary reason this story was recorded? It's all chronologically accurate, but the point is not to be history. The point is to encourage us to believe in Jesus. Nothing caught him by surprise. This was all a part of God's divine plan to provide for us forgiveness and life. So here's my encouragement as we leave here today. If you've been betrayed by somebody in your life, and I'm just assuming when we talked about that earlier, you had some memories come back. Here's my encouragement. Forgive them. Well, Todd, they haven't ever apologized. Can I be quite candid with you? I don't care. Given what Jesus endured and what he did for us, ah, we can't hold anything against anybody given all that's been forgiven us. If you've betrayed someone, apologize. You know what tends to stick in our memories much better than when we hurt other folks is when they hurt us. But if there's somebody you betrayed, you're going, yeah, Todd, it's been years. Can I say I don't care again? Betrayal sticks with people. If you betrayed somebody, hurt them. Didn't act in their best interest, but acted in your own. And it hurt them. 
apologize. If someone right now is being unkind, betraying you, taking advantage of you, use whatever verb you want. Here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Ask Jesus to help you trust that he is working. I don't mean just sit passively. I see churchgoers when things don't go our way. It feels like to me there are two general responses. Either we acquiesce and just give up, or we fight. Neither of those seem to me what Jesus would do. He'd lovingly stand. I'll just tell you, if there are churches across America doing that, they're not making the news. But even there, I assume there's some bias. At meals this week, starting in a couple hours, as you sit down, you're with somebody that's here, just say, Lord, help me to understand a little more fully what you went through. I'm going to encourage you while we're in the Last Supper to do that at every meal. I grew up with you prayed before every meal. God is great. God is good. Now we thank him for our food. In Jesus' name, amen. It became rote and mechanical and meant nothing. Some of us have drifted from this. If it's rote and mechanical, modify it. And there's nothing particularly holy about praying for more before meals. So I'm not asking you to do this forever, but... Right now, as we go through this Last Supper, I'm going to encourage you, before you sit down for every meal, just say, Lord, help me appreciate who you are a little more. And then lastly, at a meal, at home with your kids, maybe at work, if you're eating with some people in the workroom and you brought your sack lunch. Man, I was just reading the biblical text about Jesus' last meal with his disciples, blah, 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 blah. Use this as an opportunity to go there around the table Give it a shot. If nobody goes with it, start talking about the Vikings. They are 7-1 and one and they have hopes of making the Super Bowl. Oh, God loves us. He loves us. He loves us. There's nothing that happened in his going to the cross that Jesus wasn't in complete control of at all times. That Jesus who was in control then is just as control today. He makes decisions that I don't always love. But I'm doing my best to trust he's got a design in it. So Father, go with us today. Encourage us in your grace. Encourage us in your love. I pray that you would help us to appreciate more fully what it is Jesus endured before he even went to the cross. He went to the cross because the joy he experienced in paying the price for our sins exceeded any of the pain. Father, I can't begin to understand really thoroughly or describe or illustrate the depth of the pain that Jesus went through to go to the cross. In the same way, I can't describe the magnitude of his joy and being that provision that we might be set right with you, that our sins might be forgiven, that we might become your children. Father, help us to live each day 
growing in our experience of your love. Father, help us to build the foundation of our lives, of our church family. May it be built on your love. That's our prayer in Jesus' name.